In Jesus' name this morning, I trust that you can feel that flame on the altar of your heart this morning as you meet here to worship together. It's good to be here, to be back in the home setting. And I trust this morning that as we gather, the centrality of our relationship will be on that connection to our Almighty God through Jesus Christ. We have a lot of other connections in life, and um, they sometimes challenge us with the dedication of our time and focus and energies. But as we move through life, what is the result of those passing days? What is the result of the, the effect upon your life and mine, but as we've been reminded we're in the process until the Lord's return of, of acknowledging the passing of the older generation and welcoming in the newborn babes to develop their lives, to be molded, to be made, to catch a glimpse of their creator and by the grace of God to be molded in his, the image of our Savior as we are striving to as well. I invite you to Psalm 78. <clears throat> I think our worship here this morning has been one of hymns of reminding us of the blessings we have in knowing our wonderful Creator and embracing the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior on behalf of our sin, of our carnal nature. And here in, in Psalm 78, we read some verses, and I want to focus on one or two primarily, but notice there is the ongoing need to remember certain things. And in a general sense, recently I was reminded again, and you likely as well, over the Thanksgiving season, Without a grateful heart, without a heart of thanksgiving, it's hard to, to lay hold on the deep uh, roots of rejoicing as the people of God. Unless we can see what God has done for us. We can see our own wretchedness and we can see our own need and we can see and sense and experience the rest that comes through walking in the steps of our Savior. I'll read the first number of verses of Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. <clears throat> we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, 
who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, whose spirit was not steadfast with God. I'll leave off reading there at that point, but I want to focus primarily on verses 6 and 7, 7 in particular. Um, perhaps that would embody the title for the message, that they might set their hope in God. Now, the psalm writer here is, is indicating that there is an ongoing interaction of interchange between us as people, young and old, those who have gone before and those who are coming after. But I think there is a lofty and right goal in verse 7. It says that they might set their heart, their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Why is that important? Who is it talking about in verse 7? It says they. Who is they? Any of they sitting here with us this morning? Recently, some time ago, um, Brother Evan and I at least had the opportunity to have our thoughts uh, stimulated a bit in this area of the impact of generations in our midst. And um, just prior to that occasion, I had an experience that was very interesting. In, in a way that caused me to, to ponder and, and reflect quite a bit. I'd been just down the road here, half a mile, at Route 11 Auto, and was there in the waiting room and, and um, found it interesting how the few people there waiting were consumed with their time with their phones and, and could have been worthy activities, I don't know. Some of them weren't, I know, but um, anyway, it ended up by eventually opened up a conversation there and and those that were there we had some interesting discussions and then a, a young fella came in as you know as the crew there in the waiting room changed duties and a young fella came in who I perceived to be Hispanic he spoke very well English his English was very good and um, he went in and came back from the counter and sat down and I'd ask him a little bit where he was from and so forth and he went on to tell me that he was raised down here in this little trailer court tumbleweed by the fairground entrance. Told me a little bit about his background and family and after we covered those questions he said I would really like to know what you think about the younger generation. Here is a somewhat out of the normal average 20-something young fellow asking a very interesting question. 
And he went on to say this. Leaving out bits and pieces of the story. But he went on to say this. He said he was in a course, a lecture somewhere. He actually was actually completing his last year at James Madison University with a degree in engineering with a job contract with Merck. I don't know if it was under that series of classes that he heard this or not, but he said they were, he was in a class where they were explaining to them the different generations. And he said, they were telling us what my generation is like. And he says, I hope I'm not that way. Now, I don't know what they were telling him. But for the younger generation, do they know of any other? On what basis do they operate? Now, if you research it, you can look up and, and um, they will give you somewhat basic parameters of groupings from, from the silent generation, which would fall in the 74 to 91 year old age group. I'm not sure we have a few here, a couple at least, I think, in that age group. Then we have the baby boomers, which many of us can relate to from 55 to 73 years old. Later, there is a grouping called Generation X that are in the 39 to 54 year old range. Then you have the millennials, which were supposed to be called Generation Y, but they didn't like that, so they demanded to be called millennials, I think, so I understand it. Ages 23 to 38. And then the most recently defined generation is Generation Z, ages 7 to 22. those born before 2012. So what was that young fella asking? What did I think of the younger generation? There I was in the midst of three other people in that room, one whom I had discerned to be a grandmother of some college graduates and was pre had prized possessions of a grandchild or two in the area. The other one one of the others in the room, I didn't know what they stood for. I couldn't tell for sure which gender they thought they were. And so when you're faced with the question, what do you think of the younger generation with an audience, a mixed audience of perspectives, how do you answer that question? I, I simply shared, I thought, well, it's probably hard for the younger generation to appreciate the things they have that they didn't work for. And all of those varied perspectives sitting in the room shook their head, yes, they all agreed with that. They all agreed with that. Many other things they probably wouldn't have agreed upon.
that they might set their hope in God. Now we have Generation Z listed here. I'm not sure if there's a possibility of they revolve back to the letter A, if there will be a Generation A, if time stands, for those under the age of seven, but we have a lot of whatever generation they are here this morning as well. Is it something that escapes our attention at times to realize that it is not strange that those younger little ones, those youth, even even the millennials, or sometimes they scratch their heads to realize what our grandparents, our parents, went through in their lives, and how they were molded by those experiences in light of the Word of God, and how they drew guidance in their life's experience that they, it says that they might set. Now, the thought is that they, the group in focus, might be able to position themselves with their hope in God. A position of steadfastness, a position of stability, a position that is unshakable. Just last week we were talking in family setting about <clears throat> one of the families scheduled to get some wisdom teeth out and I just commented in the conversation as, as we tend to do as older generation people. And I told the grandsons, I said, well, I got mine out for $10 a piece. Their faces slowly broke into a very wide grin. That was a foreign concept for them to understand that it could have been done for such a price. Time changes things. Time changes our perspective, and yet the Word of God tells us that there is virtue and value in understanding the works of God from day from days gone by, from our forefathers, from the records we have been given from the prophecies regarding the coming of the Messiah and so forth, that we can make proper assessments, that they might set their hope in God. Now, it probably would be kind of hard to get the younger ones beyond Generation Z to, to identify themselves, but those of you here this morning between ages 7 and 22, how about if you all would just stand up a bit? If you're 7 years old, up to 22. So these would be defined as the Generation Zers. Generation Z, you may be seated. Their world is just opening up. They're living in a world that has never experienced the limitations of less than fast food or nanosecond technology. 
they look at a bookshelf that has the world's the world book encyclopedia and they have a relationship with it perhaps but probably not near as deep as their earlier generation along with those changes in time and place and we won't have time this morning to to enter there this really merits a number of occasions we'll see how it works out but the element of the changes that come through different cultures and times as they reflect on what they were taught um, you know the culture we've been raised in by and large here in the United States those of us that were born and raised here we have a certain parameter from which we see things certain backdrop And yet, with each passing generation, their life experience is very limited. So, it should not surprise us that those with more experience and learning and discipline can have a different perspective over simple things in life, taking risks. You know, if we took one of these Gen Ayers, if I may say that, these young people that have very little experience up on a large hill, they've never been sledding there before, they'll, they'll assess it according to their lack of experience. And yet, any one of us, middle age or older, would stand on that same hill, and we would as assess the conditions there based on current weather conditions, equipment we have to use, who else is there, who else is in the way if we go down now, tempered with the fact that back through the years we've observed or heard of what happens when you violate certain laws of gravity. Accidents. Some that change lives. And yet for that young child, there is not that, that library of wisdom. It's not there. That library of data to temper their actions is not there. One, things, one of the things that these generations, I believe, teach us, and, and I won't go into it in depth, but it would be interesting to study the different cultures around the world and how their generations, the ebb and flow, developed and decay of societies, how it would show up in a graph record, a recording of a graph but the fact that where there is the ability to assume, to gain, it is the propensity of man to, to collect and to build and to come to a point of not appreciating and squandering and wasting and, and living very much um, in a carnal way 
And so we see some of that developing through the generations that we listed off. And, and these, please remember, these, these groupings are only, they're not a cut and dried grouping, but they're a general trend of the evolution of the attitudes and responses and understandings If memory serves me right, for example, I think today around 80% of this young Gen Z generation would feel like that society needs to make room for same-sex marriage. Do you find that astounding? We do. I trust we find it astounding. And yet, when we enter into the highways and the byways, those are the fields that we are to harvest in, that are ripened grain, that, that Christ wants the gospel carried to. And beyond that, the fact that those perspectives and influences, those voices are voices that are creeping into our circles, Influencing the thinking. Of our dear little children. Our young people. And how can we. Do by the hand of God. By the grace of God. That which is necessary. That they might set their hope in God. One of the things that if you enter into conversations with a variety of people, different settings and cultures and environments, church groups, many times you find people that seem quite dedicated toward a stable foundation. They're fairly convinced of where they are is a good place. And yet, if we converse very long, hopefully we can share in love, but we, we will probably come to a point of understanding that based on our understanding of the Word of God, we would not agree with some of their perspectives. Very key perspectives that would come out quite differently. Another thing that needs to be remembered in, and sometimes I think the vulnerability of the oncoming generations is, is not kept in balance in the fact that sometimes there is an element where they bear responsibility for the decisions and choices they choose to make. But sometimes there is an ongoing effect that needs to be looked at back in the generation before. In other words, what impact or lack of impact was there in my family, my home, my children's influence that would have in any way um, not given them the encouragement they had they would have needed to set their hope 
in God at that point. For example, um, just a couple things to, to, your minds can think and ponder and meditate later, but patterns um, through the generations, I think most of us can speak very, there are just a few here this morning that could speak from the perspective of the silent generation. Those that were Many of those are not with us, are not able to be here with us. Most of you here would call them great-grandparents. Grandparents. They functioned in a very silent, respectful way as they were brought up in society. Then those of us that are considered baby boomers um, I'm just giving a few highlights here, but a majority of that name comes from the fact that after World War II, there was a growth of, of uh, births and population and a groundswell of parents that had come through the war experience. Their perspective and interests were tempered by what they experienced. And sometimes, you know, they had very lofty goals of, of tackling and providing for their family so that they wouldn't have to do without things. And yet, there was a couple problems with that. One was it justified being a workaholic. Another was that it was hard to measure the, the, the negativity of providing a generation with everything they needed without having to work for it. The potential of that. And so forth. And so with each generation there was, there was the, the changes that come in society. In society. Um, in the 60s was a degenerative generation, if you will, as far as morality that had a lot of downsides to it. Um, where generations came forth that began to challenge the authorities over their lives, whether it was church or government or wherever, in the home. And so you can imagine that which happened when those elements were brought into focus. Let's go to some words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus used the word generation quite a bit in his day. But he says here in Matthew 11, I want to look at verses 15 through 19, those two verses in particular. But here's one of many places where he makes this uh, observation or question. Verse 15, he says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? I didn't have Jesus sitting in the waiting room to answer that question. 
What would Jesus have said to that young man's question? Jesus asked that question in a way. He said, and he gave a couple examples. It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. As we think about these aspects, I appreciate so much these words of Jesus. What he is basically saying is he says, the fruit of wisdom will show itself. That which has value, true value, is justified of her children. Those who bear the fruit of wisdom, regardless of what others judge and say, in a sense. The fruit of my generation, is it honoring and glorifying God? The fruit of those coming after my generation. Yes, each one must choose of their own volition. But wisdom is justified of her children. Sometimes one of the things that come into focus on considering the generations is we used to didn't think about these different terms for generations, but we, I've always recalled the term generation gap. Does anybody here remember when that began? Generation gap. Brother Wade, do you remember that? When would you say it began? In the 70s. In the 70s, okay. Okay. I couldn't say when it began, but that was about when I began. The fallout from the 60s maybe brought it to light or so forth. The generation gap. And you see, unless we can acknowledge and recognize and be led by the Spirit of God to help us remember different aspects and to help the younger generation realize that there are things that they, for their own well-being and wisdom should treasure learning about the past. Learning why dad and mom see things differently. Learning why granddaddy and grandmother see things differently. Because of the trails of life that they have traversed. And yet, the oldest, the old, the middle-aged, the younger, we would all say we desire to honor God. By and large, we would say that. Okay. 
And yet sometimes it's easy for us as young people to question doctrine, tradition, what we would see as tradition. Some time ago I, I was listening to a discourse between some, I guess they would be considered psychologists, and one made a comment I found so intriguing because they gave a definition of a tradition. And I'm not saying we should hang our hat on this, but I found it very interesting. They said a tradition is an experiment that worked. It's something that was done. And I had to I think, well, how many times have we not decided to change how we do prayer meeting and try it for a little? And if it seems a blessing, we keep doing it. I found that interesting. Whether young or old, our hearts, our focus, our spirits must be turned to God in a very real way. I haven't touched at all, well, very briefly on the influence of technology and the change. One figure I saw in the Pew Research information I was looking up, it showed that Generation Z, while they are only one, two, three, four, one of five or six generations on the chart, they do 60-some percent of searches on the Internet. That's where technology is taking. It's opening doors for the curious. And so how can you and I as people of God seek the direction of God in a very deep way that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should rise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope in God. And, forget, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. One of the things that it seems to be fairly apparent in the changes of generations is that that progression of self-serving, self... Um, oh, there's another word I should be using here, I'm drawing a blank on it, of pursuing the American dream, if you will, that leads us astray from a life in service of service and worship in its fullness with the focus of God first, foremost. There is that propensity to pull away from that to lose sight of that. And, you know, even in the scriptures, we're in the passage I read here, it talks about that they may not be as their fathers, as a stubborn and rebellious generation. In other words, we are all, as God's creation, given the choice of seeking Him, honoring Him, or turning our back on Him.
But it's important that how we go about that is done in a very, very measured way. This text verse says that they might set. That perspective of setting. How do our children, the younger generation, find that point of stability? Now this may not... Some of you here use these. I typically don't. Um, most of you all can see something on the wall. When we set something for stability, what do we like to have the knowledge of? I was tinkering with this yesterday and I began to realize which pictures on our walls needed to be adjusted a bit. A laser level. And yet, how true will these lines be if it is not within the parameters of self-adjusting? In other words, if we put one, one leg up, you see it blinking? It's saying it's beyond the ability to correct. I think it can correct within four degrees. But when we get our life founded on something that is not level, that is not firmly on the word of God, we can see that if we start traveling that direction, the farther we get, the further off we're going to be. Go to some of these old countries in Italy. I, some time ago, I saw an article where they have a building or two that they are well. One in particular is leaning, and it is it is to the point they're having to decide how to deal with it because the foundation below is giving away. That they might set their hope in God. So for you and I this morning, can we perfectly depict that st steadfastness, that stability in my life and your life, apart from embracing wholly and fully the shed blood of Jesus Christ? When things in my life and your life are out of character, out of bounds, cross into the willfulness of the flesh. What does the oncoming generation see our response to be? Are they convinced that our hope is set in God? that become distracting I'll go ahead and take that out of the way sometimes things have a way of subtly catching us off guard and having influence and impact that and you may I'm gonna give it another story and you may think well this doesn't really connect directly but I, I want you to wait till the end and, and listen brother gave this account of his own experience 
of how time and change, how we adapt to things that come into our lives can have a tremendous impact on the long-term effect of it. He was a job foreman on a construction crew and the time came and his boss told him, he says, we want to put, this is generational, by the way, this is generational. <laughs> he says, we want to put a phone in your truck. By that, in that time, that meant taking your vehicle to a place where they could wire in. It wasn't even a carry mobile phone. It was a installed phone in a vehicle. And I'm not sure which generation back that goes to. <laughs> I'd have to figure it out. Anyway, he said, well, that sounded neat to him. And so that they could be contacting and be contacted and contact those he needed to. And so he got it installed, picked it up, and he, he knew that in that time, this will amuse some of you, but the way it was set up, each time the horn would beep, you had to get to it by the fourth toot to answer. And if you didn't, you missed the call. And so it went, I don't know, a day or two, and he was on the job, he was up on a building putting on a ridge cap, and his horn blew. And he thought, well, he's got to get down there and answer the phone. So he scurries down, starts scurrying down the roof, and he, he's heading down the ladder, and he missed the step about three feet off the ground, and he fell and spilt all his screws out of his nail apron, his carpenter apron, and, of course, by then it was two toots heading to three or somewhere in that neighborhood. And he was rushing over to the truck to answer this call, jerked the truck door open, it flew back, and he ran into it. And... He just got the call answered before the fourth honk. He said, hello, this is John. His wife says, hi, honey, how are you doing? He said he wasn't very... Uh, He wasn't having good thoughts, in a way. <clears throat> anyway, after he took that call, he went back over and started picking up his screws. And one of his other men on the job says, John, I'm afraid that phone's going to kill you. Now, he was experiencing adapting to change. And if he died, that would have just been physical. But the things that we are utilizing or allowing the coming generation to use have the distinct possibility of rendering spiritual death. How can we guard, how can we set forth that which we have heard, that which we have been taught from past generations, from the word of God, that the coming generation might set their hope in God? 
and not forget the works of God. Time is about all. Let's, <clears throat> let's turn to Judges. Judges chapter 2. You might say, well, it's up to each generation to, to know, find the way. But notice what it says here in this passage. Judges chapter 2, verse 7 and following. It says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being an hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnatherase, in the mount of Ephraim, on the north side of Gash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Joshua was a, a challenging example. He was one that was driven by passion and obedience to God. Yes, he was not without error. If you notice the, the time, the one time in focus when he was fooled by the Gibeonites, what happened? What caused that? What caused that failure? They didn't inquire of the Lord. And for us, I believe, we need to take a lesson from that to remind us that our lives need to be built on the direction, the blessing, the inspiration of finding fulfillment in our Christian walk. That as the coming generation weighs the variables and the values of the demise of the confusion of the woke generation, that they will turn with steadfastness to that stable plane, that higher ground, that we may all bless the Lord together. Shall we have a song? <clears throat>